Welcome to the Unriveted Podcast, where we talk about technology such as digital transformation, artificial intelligence, and people. Today, our broadcast is brought to you in part by the Verb Corporation. John, this is where your words have actions. It's good to know. Good to know. We're, if it isn't actionable, there's no point to doing it, right, Martin? <laughs> that is uh, words well spoken. Good, good. So I, I hear that today we do not have a guest today. Today we are going to have a discussion, just the two of us, on lar multimodal large language models, a growing topic of interest and research in the AI community. What do you think about that? John, that is amazing. And Said another way for people, for our listeners, multimodal generative AI is an opportunity in the making for all of us. And it's where we can apply all the facets of large language models together, whether it's voice, text, imagery, video, and uh, cognition. So applying all that together, John, I think we can have some magic. What do you think? I think so. I think, um, you know, I've heard the acronym floating around to MLLM for Multimodal Large Language Model. Um, and, you know, we just love acronyms. <laughs> but well, I'm kind of wondering, is it still, is it still, and let me get your opinion on this as we move forward here. Is it still a language model if it's capable of working with multiple types of input, language, video, audio? you know, images, what have you? Yeah, good good question, John. So maybe we drop the language part of it and, and just leave it as part of generative AI as one of the, the source inputs for generative AI, whether it being one of the other facets other than a, a typed word. It could be a, a spoken word and a, a derived image, uh, a derived video, a video input, all the above to, and mash them up together. Right, right. It's a uh, task that's definitely easier uh, said than done. I think people, you know, when they when ChatGPT, you know, came out, um, obviously not the first large language model, but I think people saw what it was capable of doing. And without being, you know, without us all being engineers, let alone generative AI engineers, we probably looked at things like, well, why can't we do these uh, same things with, you know, images, video, other modalities? Uh, at the same level. And, uh, you know, we haven't made it to that spot yet, but it sounds like that is the next frontier for a lot of different organizations. And how do we coalesce, you know, text with all these other ways that we, that we input our environment, you know? So I think we're this, you know, you know, I'm always hesitant, Martin, to use the term artificial intelligence and LLMs are starting to maybe change my mind a little bit, but I think multimodal LLMs or MLMs or whatever we want to call them, maybe that's, uh, maybe we are slowly approaching that, that level, right? I think so, John. I, and I think some of the examples that we can already play with uh, and do experimentation, which uh, we have access to either 
either via API or from the actual interfaces itself or like the integrations for um, image generation with text, mm -hmm. uh, video generation with text. Um, you know, there's been some announcements from OpenAI. Um, you know, Google's been in this space but hasn't publicly opened theirs up. Um, same with Facebook. You know, all kinds of fun stuff like music generation, video generation, very cinematic quality things that you can see in their um, experimentation warehouse. It's sort of amazing to, if you want to put it together, how I could put text, uh, voice, and images together to create something very entertaining. It could change the whole creator economy. It could change how people perceive uh, intellectual or copyright protection. Uh, some good questions. Uh, we could we could probably make this a multi-part series and, and do some living examples, but. For this for this talk, John, I, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on, you know, what are some of the implications of all this? Think about potential applications of it and, and where do you see it? Yeah, I think it's a very timely topic uh, considering the use of generative AI was part of the reason for the recent uh, Hollywood uh, writers and actors strike. Um, and I'm not sure of all the uh, exact details of what their um, issues were with AI other than, you know, we can have a tool like ChatGPT write the script for a TV show or, you know, write a movie script with, you know, the click of a button uh, without having to use the creativity of humans. I think that that's the general idea of it. But, you know, applications-wise, Martin, you and I, I mean, we've been using uh, we've been using image uh you know, generative image AI with uh, multimodal text prompting uh, in, you know, some of our viewers that have seen our show on YouTube, where we have a visual element, not just the podcast, have seen some of your wizardry using <laughs> Leonardo AI, uh, where we can take a model, we can pass it along an image as a prompt. We can also pass it along text as a prompt. And it can take those two modalities and create a entirely new image using those two inputs. And I think, and I don't know if it was Leonardo AI, but some tool, maybe it was Midjourney um, or Dolly. Um, actually, they won. Someone created an AI-generated image for like an art contest, and they actually won the award. So you know, it's. It's definitely capable. And then, it, you know, to your point, what happens to like the copyright or, you know, how are we able to to do, you know, differentiate the human part from the um, the AI part? And I think the other thing, too, and I'll get your point on this, is uh, some someone from, I don't remember, uh, Sundar Pinchai or, or Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk, you know, one of the one of these tech gurus has said that they think that the main application for AI, and in this case, I say multimodal AI, will be everyone in the world will have a personalized personal assistant. We're all familiar with Siri and Alexa and, and uh, you know, Google, which I don't know if it has it. Does Google have a name or is it just, hey, Google? Which I got to <laughs> say quietly, if I say that too loud, it'll turn on and then we'll hear that in the background. But those are two applications. So uh, interested. I mean, you probably have a couple more that come to mind that I'm not. Thinking. Yeah, you just set off my watch here. So I'm going <laughs> to. 
so, so no uh no hay with theory uh together for me uh, today thank you gotcha <laughs> yeah it's um it's really clear i think it, i think that the um you know following up on my gold rush or or fool's gold rush uh analogy here there's a lot in the creative industry side that people are envisioning or try and playing out with and are you slightly creative to use it? Yes. Are you the instantiator or the artiste that created the musical notes that can't come out of it in an auditory sense? Uh, that's kind of weak. Um, are you the artiste with the pixel magic? Same comment. Um, but it is fun to play with. I think the concerns are where this is trained to do that. Um, you know, using like a service like Spotify, I, I just did a, a panel discussion with peers on, on this area where Spotify might consider creating its own origin originated music uh, that will fit your musical taste. Well, think about what Spotify does and, uh, and creating music for you uh, off of what sources, where did they get trained? Uh, were they trained off of stuff that's already copywritten? And, you know, are they uh, mimicking certain artists to, to your liking and, and mashing it up. There's some question marks there, but it's fun to play with. I, I don't know you mm -hmm. should profit from things that you're effectively stealing, if they want to call it that, or maybe not licensing and paying the fee for, if that if that's more applicable. If you license and pay the fee, then game on. Go ahead, let it happen. You know, and, and it makes sense. It, it does. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to mm -hmm. own a, if you want to portray Batman, then you want to pay who owns the rights to the name Batman. Right, right. I think, you know, copyright law in general, and maybe this has already happened in some capacity. Um, and surely things, again, like the, the writer's strike will, will uh, give a signal that this is something that needs to happen. Copyright law probably needs to be rewritten in a way to accommodate for you know, ethical or proper uses of uh, other people's work as a means of training a system. Because, you know, obviously the the systems that are creating images or audio or video um, are creating something unique. But to get to that point, we have to use something that was already created by an individual, right? So... You know, it's not in the, the the traditional sense where someone plagiarizes your your book or your movie uh, or your song, uh, which we've seen countless uh, legal cases for that over the years. And I think we just saw a couple this year, actually, of like, hey, you stole my song. But uh, yeah, how do we come up with that balance between, um, you know, we're using your work, we're using a human's work to train a multimodal model like this say that three times fast um but we're not you know we're using it in a capacity that we haven't really thought of using it before so i'll be interested to see how that how that plays out uh in terms of copyright yeah and i have ideas here where this makes sense but you know i think we could go beyond the creative side i think the creative is like the eye candy it's what we see today Mm -hmm. and, and really focus in on some great opportunities for multimodal in perhaps education, uh, healthcare, customer service, where you're not worried about the plagiarization. You're not worried about a copyright. Well, there, there are places for 
copyright patents and trademarks um, applicable to all this, but it's a different area. It's not creative. You're hopefully doing something for the good of humankind uh, mm-hmm. just to be more specific here in healthcare. If you can improve healthcare quality, diagnosis of healthcare concerns, uh, drive better outcomes, lower the cost of overall health maintenance. I sounds like a win-win for everyone. What do you think? I would say so. You know, the, um, I just read an article the other day and actually the content of the article really wasn't telling me anything that was new. In fact, it was stressing the fact that the problem was getting worse, uh, was that the healthcare industry is in dire straits of having enough RNs, nurse practitioners, doctors, specialists, um, you know, the population of the world is obviously, what are we at? Eight billion people now. So (laughs) someone's going out and counting every individual, you know, baby in, uh, in the hospital, I suppose. Right. But (laughs) that point aside, um, you know, obviously we have a lot more people and population growth seems to be like at an exponential rate now, uh, since I think you don't have to go back too many years for the world population to be like 2 billion people. Now we're at 8 billion, like a hundred years later. So I don't know. Don't quote me on that. So healthcare. Yes. Uh, and I've had a, you know, um, and the conversation I've had with a lot of friends that are in the field, nurses, nurse practitioners, uh, radiologists, is how are you going to work with these tools that can, you know, go beyond what we see in language models, but go into, you know, now they can ingest, you know, they can ingest dictation. Uh, you maybe you're looking at a patient and you're you're taking notes rather than writing them down, or or uh, X-rays for a radiologist, and you get to the point where those tools are more powerful and more uh, accurate. Uh, than the humans themselves. So maybe there's a benefit in this, but I think this the bigger problem, and I know we're kind of straying off the topic of multimodal to more of like the ethical area, but I think it's not the problem of the capability of these types of models to do what they're supposed to do. I think it's going to be the human side that has to come up with ways to adapt and feel comfortable working with those tools. Uh, in other words, augmented intelligence smart augmented intelligence the real ai augmented intelligence. <laughs> had to throw that in there <laughs> you know what john you bring up i think something that's so true that you know at the <laughs> highest level we should think about augmented intelligence encompassing everything we think is artificial intelligence plus maybe even process automation robotic process automation and you know mash it all together and put it in a box and ship it out. There you are. Here's your digital assistant in an augmented reality or an augmented um, intelligence world for you. Well, you said augmented, you know, augmented reality, which I know that that was a big thing, maybe what, three to five years ago or something when we had Google Glass, whatever happened to Google Glass, I was really excited. I just got my LASIK vision correction done and didn't have to wear glasses anymore. But then I got excited that I might have another reason to wear glasses or contacts if they could put it uh in the contacts but that that's probably a few uh decades away from us i would imagine <laughs> yeah so so coming back to how it sows to potentially healthcare you know you can tie the educational component tree around and training and education that would be 
formulative to the foundation of learning and then help fill up the gaps for capability of where people need to be for certain high demand roles. And this is applicable across multiple uh, types of industries, but in healthcare, I can see it hugely valuable for, you know, a physician, um, what do they call a personal assistant or physician's assistant, a PA, uh, Mm -hmm. practicing with more guidance with educational assistance on top of that with, you know, a healthcare automated assistant associated with them using their voice, uh, an image of what they're seeing in the patient uh, or a video. And it goes into the magical machine. The machine comes out and says, look for something else or ask certain questions or take a certain type of diagnostic test. It could be a blood test, et cetera. And so I think it's still a win-win and it's how it all applies. And I think those are the the greater... There I go on my broken, my broken, I, I did grow up in Oakland and went through the public school system. So I, I do have to apologize for my use of the English language at times. Right, but, right. Uh, you can, you can do, you can do more better than that, Martin. You, you can do can more do better than that. More, I could be more uniquer too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> it, it's all great. It's all great. It's all good too. Um, but yeah, I think. I think the opportunity is huge. Uh, the customer care, customer service areas also, you know, going beyond the, the visual chat bot to get the, the video chat bot that actually dece- you know, receives the video as someone going, hey, I need help. And, and, and maybe there's information to be gleaned out of that. And, uh, you know, there's definitely the dating application. Oh, boy, don't even go there. Um, and, and virtual bots replacing humans in, in virtual dating. And maybe your virtual bot can date someone else's virtual bot. And would that be the ultimate and multimodal waste of time? I think it'd be the ultimate insult if your virtual dating bot can date another virtual dating bot while you're still sitting at home, not doing anything. <laughs> so even my virtual dating bot, Martin, my, my, multimodal LLM powered dating bot can get a virtual date, but you know, I can't. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's, um, maybe we don't want to, maybe some people don't want to go down that path, but everything else you said, yeah, makes sense. Right. I mean, nowadays take it for what it is, but it seems like there's a lot of jobs out there that people just don't want to do anymore. Right. It kind of ha- every time there's an economic, you know, uh, event, like first we had the Great Recession and a bunch of people like lost their jobs. And then a bunch of those jobs never returned and got replaced with automation. We had the same thing with COVID, although it was not nearly as pronounced and didn't last nearly as long. And, you know, I think just the people being isolated in, in their homes and, and being like, wow, you know, like life is much better when I don't have to work. Um, <laughs> which I'm not disagreeing with that, you know, I mean, I, I would like that too, but I, you know, ultimately that almost doesn't pan out. So again, I think, you know, some of these things, you know, not only will these tools be valuable for filling in the gaps for some of those roles that people just don't want to do anymore. And maybe rightfully so that they don't want to do them, but also the fact, again, going back to what I said earlier, that the number of people you know, that we have on the planet is growing and the number of services and and things that we need to do to accommodate everyone, you know, if if that's not growing at the same rate, then some of these tools can can fill in that gap. Um, 
you know, compared to using like a human being or make things more efficient, like your example with an RN uh, using some sort of augmented intelligence system that can uh, tell them what questions to ask, what to look for. You know, they have their Google Glass, you know, that, you know, Google Glasses when they go into their um, patient's room and uh, they can see 20 patients a day instead of maybe like eight patients a day, but all provide them with the same level of care that if they spent, you know, two hours with each of those people. So, uh, so yeah, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid, but <laughs> who knows? In the world of not afraid, well, let's quickly summarize, you know, the, the opportunity for multimodal generative AI is going to be very powerful. Let's just be right to the point. And the opportunities, maybe it's not a, a new gold rush. Maybe it's a new platinum rush. You know, maybe it's a higher level cost problem uh, because it does take a carbon footprint to use this technology. Uh, but with that, I think this is an interesting topic. And I think we should come back and revisit maybe a deeper dive into some of the areas and maybe some living examples of using multimodal. What do you think, John? I think so. I think there's actually some models out there, some specific multimodal models that are either out now or are soon to be let out um, that we could talk about maybe directly uh and one that uh particular and we won't talk about it now but uh google uh recently announced a model called the gemini model that is supposed to be five times more powerful than gpt4 and a massive 65 trillion trainable parameters used trained on youtube data so at least they're transparent about where it came but We'll save that for another conversation. John, as always, it's been fun and entertaining. Let's uh, call this one a wrap. And until next time, let's go multimodal generative at home. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. Thanks, John.